Hello, my name is Katherine Moore, social worker, mom, coffee lover, and founder of Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. I'm so excited you found my podcast. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We will hear the stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Social Workers Rise. I'm very excited for this episode where we talk about money mindset. So social workers are vastly underpaid for the work that we do, the value that we bring, the stress that we manage, and how we contribute to an organization's overall success. We are vastly underpaid. I did a little bit of research, and according to salary.com, if you have your BSW, that is going to give bring you about fifty-eight or fifty-nine thousand per year in the United States. With your MSW, that's going to bring you about sixty-five thousand per year. In the episode, I said sixty-five. It was misleading if it was sixty-five per hour or sixty-five per year. I was referring to sixty-five thousand dollars per year on average for an MSW, according to Salary.com. So. I also did a little bit further digging because I wanted to know what is the average salary for other professions who also have a master's degree? So it wasn't on salary.com, but I looked at payscale.com and it was interesting because this website actually had the BSW and MSW lower. So for the BSWs, they said the average was 40,000 per year. And the average for the MSW is 53000 per year. So I'm in California. Those numbers sound, sound kind of low, but, you know, who am I to say? So according to payscale.com, that is what they're saying. And if their numbers are low, then this will be interesting. So the average master's for somebody is 75000 per year. I know that's a lot of numbers. Basically, what I'm getting at here is the average master's for overall people who have their master's degree, they're making $75,000 per year on average. Social workers coming out are making 53 to 65 on average per year. So we are at least $10,000 under other professions with a master's degree. I don't know about you, but that that pisses me off. It just shows right there in the numbers how much we are being undervalued and taken advantage of, to be honest. I mean, these companies know the value that we bring and they're not paying us what a market value master's degree would make. So I thought it was really, really important that we just start this conversation around our money mindset. This episode is not going to 
fix this problem, but it at least gets the conversation going and gets the conversation started so that you yourself can decide what are you going to accept? What salary are you going to be comfortable with? What salary do you really want? Do you feel like you are being compensated less than what you deserve? Then that's going to be a next step. Are you feeling like in the job interview that they're lowballing you? Or maybe you don't even know because (laughs) the job interviews can make it sound pretty good. And once you're in there, you realize, shoot, I'm working more than eight hours a day. And they're only paying me for eight hours a day, and I still need to get my work done, and it's just not possible. So those are conversations that we need to have more of, and I'm just so excited that you're here because we are starting this and continuing it on um, right now. Let's get into it. Hey, Kristen. Hi there. I'm doing so well. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining me on Social Workers Rise. I am really excited to talk to you because we are going to talk about something super taboo within the social work field. Yes. I feel like this is almost more taboo than sex. Much more. In fact, I was going to start singing that song. Let's talk about money, baby. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yes, yes. So, Kristen, tell me first, you know, just like who you are, what do you what do you do, where are you at? Give us a scoop. Sure, sure. So, my name is Kristen and I'm based in Dallas, Texas and I've been a social worker for the past decade. It feels so crazy to say that, um but things definitely start to get real when you hit those double digits. Um I have worked in a variety of settings. Um so my concentration was actually community practice social work, um, but then I got sucked into the clinical world. And so I've mainly worked with teens and their families and schools, hospitals, and IOP programs. And um, three years ago, I started teaching in online master's of social work programs. So that's what I'm doing currently, in addition wow. to my hungry social worker venture, <laughs> which we'll talk about later. Okay. So you are a professor did you say that you you're working in social work like community right now no 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 that was my concentration back in grad school but it was just funny that I ended up in clinical social work for the past 10 years yeah (laughs) nice so full-time professor is that right no it's just part-time okay I'm Mm -hmm. super jelly for the record (laughs) that sounds so awesome it's fun. It's really fun. I'm teaching a field course this semester. And as you can imagine, things are very wonky <laughs> and filled right now because of COVID. And so we've had to be really creative and making sure students get contact with clients. So we've had to be really, really creative in that. Oh, my gosh. I've heard so many things from because I'm always on IG, you know, talking to people on there. And I've just heard so many things challenges with being web-based because they feel they feel disconnected and they feel like it's really hard to to learn and to to get that experience that they need which I can totally see that because going into somebody's house is completely different than calling them on the phone right 
Yeah, no, it definitely does. Um, there's definitely some challenges, um, but I think we're making it work. I mean, it's been really surprising. We did our first fully virtual um, placement last semester at a church and it worked. And then I have students that are in hospice, that are in schools and they're completely virtual and they're making it work. So it can be done. Yeah. And the great thing too is you can add um, teletherapy <laughs> to your resume now. Yes. Um, definitely a skill. Yes. That's what I keep on telling them. Like you guys are going to be ahead of the game because you're already going to be used to this. So good for yep. you. <laughs> yep. And it is not going away. Teletherapy. I am convinced that it is here to stay and they're, you know, the systems are in place. They're not going to just go away once or if COVID goes away. So I am convinced teletherapy is here to stay. Yeah, I think so. I think people have gotten really spoiled. And even if you are based in the same area as your therapist, like nobody wants to get dressed and have to drive, you know, 15 minutes to see someone anymore. We could just hop on the computer now. Yep. Yep. It's true. Definitely. So let's talk about money. Um, and I'll be like full disclosure here. So I've had growing up, I was growing up in a, like a, a lower middle class, like type of situation. It was my grandmother. We had a single income. So, you know, we had our needs met, um, but we didn't have a lot of the extras. You know, I didn't get new shoes all the time. Like, you know, I was, I was shopping at, <laughs> you know, just wherever. So like I had my needs met, but I wasn't poor. I wasn't rich. Um, and we definitely felt we like there was a sacrifice there. Right. Uh -huh. And I always thought of, or kind of the consensus, cause my whole, you know, my whole city and my whole community uh, was pretty much like that. It was um, very low socioeconomic status in the entire city. So I was actually like doing much better than a lot of my peers who were, who were living in poverty. And uh -huh. so the, like my money mindset growing up was having money is for them, them over there and they're selfish and they are mean. They don't care about anybody. They just hoard all of their money and I'm never going to be a selfish money hoarder like that. And, <laughs> and I had such like bad stereotypes of people. Uh -huh. um, but at the same time, when I got to college and I decided, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to college to make more money, ironically, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, because I wanted to help people. I wanted to figure out how to help people. Um, how to make a difference. And so I got my bachelor's in social work. And I remember coming across this program that is, um, it's, I don't know, it's worldwide, you like volunteer, you you go to other countries, you volunteer there, and you live in their communities, uh -huh. getting, getting paid whatever it is that the community gets paid, which is like, you know, pennies. Yeah. And it was for the experience, like, quote, experience, right? Right. And I was like, no, no, I've already, I've already, yeah, I don't need to do that. No, thank you. So I went with social work. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, well, at least this, these, these jobs look pretty promising. Right. And so, but I, that money mindset stuck with me for a very, very long time. You know, I'm wondering what was your experience with your money mindset? Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing that. It's, it's so surprising how hard these things are to talk about. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, my experience um, was similar. Um, I definitely grew up in uh, a lower income family. I don't, I don't even know where we would be in the bracket, but probably like upper lower class, if that's the thing. Um, not that we went without, but we definitely struggled. And I definitely saw the differences between myself and my peers and even other people like extended family, like cousins and things like that. Um, and I also have had a lot of experience traveling abroad, which kind of also greatly influenced my money mindset. And so I spent um, a substantial amount of time in other countries like South Africa, the Philippines. And then every time I came back from these trips, I always had this like increased um, sense of gratitude for what I had. And it also, which is great, right? It's great to be reminded that we're so grateful to have a lot of resources here that other countries don't have. Um, but it also kind of, I think I took it to the extreme and that I like embraced minimalism to an extreme that I like wouldn't even allow myself to have any nice things. I'm not talking about like in college, I'm talking about even until like a few years ago where I would just, I felt so guilty. I thought that somehow by me having less, it was giving others the chance to have more. And then once I started to see these little beliefs come out, I was able to challenge them. Um, but I didn't even know they were there. And then once you look at them, it's like, well, that's completely, that doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> like, How does that logic even work? But like, who knows how long my mind was holding on to that belief and influencing so many of my life decisions that I didn't even realize. And that's just like really the tip of the iceberg. Yes, that's so powerful. And I, you're, when you said having what, oh my gosh, I'm going to butcher it. But when you were saying like you having less or mm-hmm. you having more, you having, more, having have less, what was it? By me having less, I thought that by me having less, it allowed other people to have more. Yes, that is, yeah, I feel like that is very, very common in our line of work as social workers, because we do work with people who don't have a lot of money sometimes, who um, are struggling financially, who have hit some bumps in the road. And I remember going home, which which again, it's, it's a good thing to be grateful and reminded mm-hmm. and of, of what you have and like, oh my gosh, I'm not homeless, right? I have this amazing apartment. Um, this, this one bedroom I barely fit in, but you know, it's, it's better than, than the guy I just talked to at work. Right. Yeah. And, and almost a feeling like, a, like feeling guilty. Mm-hmm. Like if, if, um, if I have a nice, apartment does that make me worse of a person or does that make me care less you know and I don't yes like a weird guilt thing going on it is yeah there's a lot of emotions that are attached to it that I I don't think that we even realize and still until we like start to examine it 
Yeah. So what have you found as far as, you know, the core beliefs about money? Like, what does that even mean? Yeah. Um, so basically, you know, we, we all learn about, so my undergrad is in psychology and a lot of social workers um, usually get their undergrad in psychology and get their master's. Um, but even if not, you've heard of core beliefs, right? As it applies to people's core beliefs about themselves, right? And so one example is that I am not worthy of love, right? And so if that is our core belief, then how do you think that's going to affect your relationships? Whether you recognize it or not, it, it's really impacting your ability to have successful relationships and is ultimately keeping you from greater happiness. So we all kind of are on the same page that there's these core beliefs that we have as humans about ourselves, but there are also core beliefs that we have about money. Like we all have them. Mm-hmm. Have yeah. You, have you found that social workers as a profession that we tend to have certain core beliefs about money? Yeah, I think so. I think helping I mean, professionals. Uh huh. Sorry, I'm sure there's not a lot of research on this um, on this topic, but I'm wondering, like in your conversations, you know, what have you noticed? Yeah, you know, I don't think there is much research, and I would love to. I'm a research nerd, so I would eventually love to to venture into that. Um, but yeah, just in the conversations I've had, um, it seems that people are kind of on the same page that they thought, kind of like what you were mentioning or mentioning earlier, like, you know, rich people are greedy. It's bad to want more money, especially when we're in a field that's based on the principle of service. Um, kind of like we knew what we were getting ourselves into. It's kind of these really like limiting beliefs that we have around money in the field. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, for sure. And I, yeah, and it takes a really, like a lot of self-reflection and introspection mm -hmm. around this and more education too. I found that I've been able to shift my mindset about money. I mean, I feel like I've done a complete 180 degree in the past, I don't know, three years or so, just mm -hmm. by diving into you know, what, what money is, you know, how, how does it work? How, what, it, like, cause it's, it's all around us, right? I mean, all, yes. of our, all of our jobs, all of our agencies, even nonprofit agencies rely on money. The government has a lot of it and they control it. And that has power. When you have that power and you have that money, you get to decide who gets help, you know, like, yes. These companies and these foundations, I mean, and by the way, foundations are just amazing. I want one when I grow up, right? <laughs> yeah. In the future, I want to have a foundation because they're just so, they're just so powerful because they are often arms. And this is by probably not an act, completely accurate conversation, like definition of foundations, but they're an arm of a for-profit organization. Mm-hmm is able to give back and to donate and to a cause that they choose to a cause that they feel passionate about. And so a lot of the nonprofits are funded, you know, in large part by foundations who really, really care about the community and who want to give their money to help nonprofits make these changes. Uh, so money is really everywhere in the work 
that we do. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, I love what you said about that. Like money, money is a tool for, it can be a tool for good. Right. But it's all about how we think about it. Like the way you framed money, it makes it sound a lot different than how we normally think of it. Right. That money is abused and power is abused. Um, and it's a, you know, a source of evil. We all hear that money is the root of all evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are just kind of like misconceptions. And if we think about it, money is an inanimate object. It doesn't have a personality. It does not make decisions. People make decisions and they misuse money as a tool. Yep. yep. And so that's one way of starting to reframe it. Like why, why are we humanizing and personalizing money <laughs> as if it has its own little brain and mind and ability to, to make decisions and actions? Um, but no, it's the people behind it, right? Yes, yes. I firmly believe like 100% of my being money allows you to be more of who you are. So if you really, really value social change, if you really value uh, politics, if you really value helping out nonprofits, if you have a lot of money, that's where you're going to give your money. That's Mm -hmm. it's going to be a reflection of your values. If you don't and you're selfish, then you're going to do what selfish people do with their money, which which, I don't know. I don't know. I just know what I want to do is I want to give it all away. (laughs) Right. Yeah, you're right. And if you think, think about just for a minute, what would the world be like if social workers were all very wealthy and had the ability to do these wonderful things that you're talking about, how great of an impact would that be on the world? Like it's, it's possible (laughs) if we change our beliefs around money, you know, and, and recognize it for what it is, it it can be a tool and a vehicle for good. Yeah. And our, our impact can have such a greater and further reach, right? Like working with clients one-on-one is wonderful. It's great. Working with communities is great, but think about the impact you could make. Like, like you're saying, you know, donating to foundations and donating to causes like that's, that's huge impact. Mm-hmm, for sure. Not to We're minimize doing... the work that we do at all. Right. No, I feel like it would just be more, more of what we do because yes, we had, I mean, I'm thinking about my situation, right? If, if I had money and I didn't feel so and I was working at this job because I wanted to be there because I truly cared about what I was doing and I wasn't just desperate for a job, then the way I show up and the way that I interact with people is going to be so much different than if I am stressed out, if I can't take a vacation because I can't afford one, if, I, if I'm stressing about my student loans and my rent, you know, all of these things, you know, it. It's, it's all interconnected. And I think one of the ways that I really discovered that my money mindset was a problem is I did, <clears throat> I did the balance wheel, which is, you just draw a circle and it has different prongs. This is hard. <laughs> it's so hard to describe, mm-hmm. you know, verbally, but you draw a circle and then you draw different, um, sticks from the center of the circle and you put, you know, money, health, uh emotions, uh, spirituality, and then you gauge from zero to 10, how well you're doing at that moment. Mm. 
in each of those areas and then you connect the lines and you'll be able to see, you know, where your circle is full and where your circle dips in. And we cannot be, you know, fully functioning beings if part of our circle is off balance. Right. My my finance part was like two. (laughs) Yes. And so it, it made me see like, oh shoot, my finances are, are a problem here. Like, what am I going to do? I'm thinking of the future. I'm thinking of my family. I'm thinking of the life that I dream of. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't there and I'm still not there, but I want to get there one day, you know, because I, right. I feel like I deserve to have a life that I dream of, that I envision. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I I love that you mentioned that will, um, because I recently stumbled upon one. And yeah, we we, in social work, we talk about, you know, treating the whole person, right? And that's kind of what we're known for. That's kind of like what sets us apart from other helping professionals as we do, we see the environment, we're taking all these other factors into play. But one thing we don't talk about is the, the financial wellness, right? And if we're neglecting that part then we're neglecting a part of someone's reality right it goes back to like basic basic um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs right if your basic needs aren't being met how in the world can you work on you know other things like having meaningful relationships and working on your communication like all these things that we talk about with our clients as social workers like if they're struggling to make ends meet like nothing that we're going to be working with them on is going to resonate because they're just in survival mode Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And the same with us, that affects our our ability to be present with our clients. Um, if we're so worried and overwhelmed with our financial situation. Yes. Yes, for sure. So I was reading, you know, some of the work that you're doing and you mentioned the double whammy. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, the double whammy. I love giving things fancy names. <laughs> um <laughs> So a disclaimer, this may not describe every social worker's experience, but it does describe a large amount of of the social work population. Um, So basically, um, the double whammy is that a lot of social workers, not all, um, come from disadvantaged or lower income backgrounds. Maybe they've experienced um, traumatic events. Um, And in their families, normally... Um, money was either not discussed or when it was discussed, it was a source of stress and contention. And so that's already, as a child, we're already getting these messages about money, like money, money equals stress, right? That that was Mm -hmm. our story for a lot of us. And even if you didn't come from a lower income family, I'm sure you can relate that money was probably a source of contention. And you picked up on that as a child. So then that it leads to the double whammy when we choose a profession that only that I believe only reinforces unhealthy views of money, not to bash social work. I love it. These are the unintended consequences. That I don't think that even university programs realize that's happening, but we focus on the misuse and abuse of money and power, right? We talk about the, the few people that are, you know, fueled by greed and using money as a tool for evil, And that it's negatively affecting our clients. So I don't know if you can relate, but I got that message in my grad school program. Like that's what I left thinking was 
only feeling reinforced in my belief that rich people are evil and they're like they're the reason that we have people in poverty they're the reason that social work even needs to exist Mm, like blaming blaming rich Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. yeah right yeah and then you know we talk about poverty obviously poverty is a necessary thing to talk about in social work because we want to address these social work problems or these social problems but like we're already talking about money as a source of, of greed and the misuse of power. And then we're focusing on poverty. So this is just like, all of this is like the perfect storm for creating a really problematic view of money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So where do we go from here? Like, what do we do? What, what's our first step? Yeah, great question. I mean, the first step really, I mean, it's the same as if you were looking at this Uh, if you were like going to go into therapy for yourself, right? It's just getting curious about your thoughts and beliefs about money. And there's lots of resources out there. Um, There's a great book that actually kind of started my journey. It's called You Are a Badass at Making Money by Jen Sincero. And she has lots of journaling exercises and affirmations if you're into that sort of thing that can kind of help you to start to look at those problems, those um, problematic views that we have about money. But just asking yourself, like maybe doing some journaling, like what what were the stories that I was told growing up about money? And again, these aren't verbal. Your parents probably don't sit you down and say, rich people are greedy. You know, it's, <laughs> it's more like the the messages we're getting, right? From We're picking up from society. We're picking up from our family. What okay. messages am I getting in the profession about money? Just like starting to get curious because we can't deal with anything that we don't know exists right so there's a saying name it to tame it so we kind of have to name it call out those beliefs and then basically it's using cbt like cognitive behavior therapy and challenging those unhelpful thoughts yes yes that's true i'm just kind of thinking you know because it feels very very intense i've heard i've just heard so many comments about about people when they say, oh, you know, you have a for-profit and not a non-profit, how uh. or like there's all these things wrong with, with social work and social work is based in capitalism and these things need to change. And ironically, the way that these things are going to change is, is if you have money. <laughs> if uh-huh. you have money, then you have influence and then you have power. It's just the way that our society is right now how we are in western society that we are intertwined in a in a society where money equals power whether we like it or not whether we agree with it or not whether we think it needs to change or not that's how it is right now sure and you know it just seems like in order for us to really have big change that we need or even small change within our families within our communities that we can you know do this money mindset shift and it might have a really really big impact on us right absolutely and you know I'm sure there are organizations that are are aware of this um that you know changes are trying to be made at like the macro and systems level but let's be honest like those changes take time and it's Mm -hmm. you know you have to go through bureaucracy and really just like you said the quickest way to make a change is starting with ourselves right Mm -hmm. we we don't have control over these systems 
but we do have control over what we do. We do have control over our mindset. And so kind of like taking your own life into your, taking your life into your own hands, right. By being brave and doing this money mindset work um, can really spark a whole revolution because I don't know. I just, I, these are the things I dream about. What would happen if people start to do this work, social workers start to do this work and then they're realizing their worth and they're no longer accepting, you know, whatever pay that they have been receiving. What would, what would happen? What would change if we just were to make that shift individually, but then it ends up like, you know, being a much bigger effect, right? If there's a group of us out there doing it together. I don't know. I just, I dream about these things. What, what if? (laughs) Yes. Yes. No, I mean, it completely makes sense because, you know, the average, so the average social work salary with a master's degree is 65. I've seen some jobs where they are asking for a master's degree and years of experience and they say, we'll pay you $20 an hour. Uh No, no. And it's, it's, it's enough of us. To say, no, I'm not working for $20 an hour um, to get us up to that 65. But if we had a little shift in our money mindset, I wonder, would that salary number go up and say, you know, I, I have a lot of really great skills and I'm worth more than what you are offering, right, offering me right now. So let's renegotiate this. Let's see what we can work out. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's, I mean, just a little bit of self-disclosure here. Like one of, one of the uh, hugest aha moments that I've come upon since I've been doing this money mindset work is that I, I realized I was like keeping myself in low paying jobs because that was what I was comfortable with making. And then there was a payoff too. There's kind of like, and I think a lot of social workers can relate, like we get into this field because it's, it's noble, right? And so it's almost like this, badge of honor that we wear like oh I'm doing such noble work and for very little pay and I didn't even realize that that was happening um yeah so exactly what you're saying I think a lot of our beliefs are kind of keeping us like it or not I know that might sound harsh but they're keeping us stuck right Mm -hmm. and if we do realize our worth and we do gain confidence then we'll be able to have the confidence to renegotiate salaries, to ask for that raise, to go for that promotion, to look for jobs that aren't traditional social work jobs, but still use those skills. Like I know um, most corporations have social responsibility um, positions where kind of like what you were talking about earlier, like they're in charge of helping the company learn how to like give back to the community and they're hiring social workers to do it and they're being compensated really nicely. Now it's not, it's not a position that's going to say social worker. Right. And so we have to kind of like open our minds to new possibilities, but we have the very necessary skill set to, to be very competitive in these kind of job positions. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. For sure. I love that. So I'm just you know, wondering what would happen, like, so with the money, does it align with our social work values? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. I think that's, that's part of what keeps us stuck is that, at least for me, and I I know I can't be the only one, I felt like for the longest time that desiring more money, totally combated with 
and was at odds with social work values. And so what we need to do is to kind of, again, take a cue from a lot of these therapy models that we're learning from. And so if any of y'all are familiar with DBT or dialectical behavior therapy, they talk about dialectical thinking, which is a both and thinking. So instead of seeing things as opposites and they can't coexist, we're starting to like look at things from different perspectives that, oh, okay, I see now how a healthy desire for more money to live a healthier lifestyle and social work values are actually complementary. Mm-hmm. Yep. I agree. And I feel like there are, it's not just a feeling. I know there are so many people right now who are making such massive impact and they're getting paid for it. You know, they're providing uh-huh. a service, they're providing a service, they're helping other people and they're being compensated. So just because they are making money, it doesn't mean that they're not, that they're bad or that they are not ethical because there are plenty of ethical people who are out there who are running legitimate businesses, who are running legitimate practices, but are still being compensated. So I, I agree. I don't think that we have to necessarily choose between being a good person and helping other people and, and making an income that, that we want, that we, that we deserve. Yes, absolutely. So I, I just love this. I love everything about it. Uh, was there anything that we missed that you feel it's important for social workers to know about money mindset? Um, I think the biggest thing is just applying the code of ethics to ourselves um, personally. And so this is kind of what led me to even pursue um talking about money mindset is that, you know, after being in this field for 10 years, I started to notice things like both within myself and within my colleagues, like, wow, we are advocating all day long for clients and we are damn good at it, number one, but we are not applying these same ethics to ourselves. And so I started to look at the code of ethics. Um, So one of them, one of our ethical principles is social workers challenge social injustice. Right. And so social injustice is about the fair um, distribution of wealth, among other things. But that's the the key part to look at there. And so, like you were saying, social workers are highly trained. We're very educated. We're hardworking. um, We're providing absolutely invaluable services to to communities and ultimately saving communities money. Right. Because we're. We're, we're trying to help the situation and, and help taxpayers not have to pay more money towards these social programs by helping people to, to get out of poverty and things like that and to, you know, reach their goals. Um, yet we are often not compensated fairly. And so if we just took that one ethical principle and started to apply it to our own profession, I think there would be a huge amount of change. Yeah, it's so true. And you know what? Business people know that about us and they in their minds if they're thinking well you know social workers are amazing let's bring them in they're gonna you know help all of these people and they're gonna help save money because they don't demand a lot of money so Uh let's just offer them a low wage and if they take it great (laughs) yeah as opposed to hiring a 
you know, maybe a psychotherapist or sure. someone else who would demand more money, um, which the money's there, you know, it's there. It just, right. where are the, where's the priorities at? Um, and we do save people a lot of money. I know working as a social worker in the medical field, a really big thing that hospitals and, and medical groups like to see is that we keep people at, you know, out of the hospitals, out of mm-hmm. the rooms and, and, you know, avert crisis, right. Which is good for everybody. It's good for the patient. Yes. The patient doesn't want to be in crisis. The hospitals don't, don't necessarily want people in crisis and they don't want their ERs full of people. So it really is the best interest for everybody and it saves money, which is the primary motivating factor, I'm sure, as a business. Because uh, you have to stay in business. If, you, if you're not making money, then you have to close your doors and you're not going to be able to help anybody. That's so true. That's absolutely so true. And I think that <laughs> um, a lot of these nonprofits that social workers end up founding and creating they end up not doing too well, right? Because we don't have that business background because we're all about, like, we just want to help people, but we also need to be practical and know that, you know, we've got to pay people's salaries. We got to be compensated fairly. You know, it's, it's not all about helping people. We actually, I mean, it's running a business, even if it's a nonprofit, it's still running a business. Agreed. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I don't know the statistics on if nonprofits work or not, but um, I'm sure that there are a lot of really great nonprofits out there that do work, but mm-hmm. it, you definitely need and would benefit from people who have different different points of views, different life experiences, different education, and different training to supplement that part where we don't necessarily have. So we're definitely going to be good at determining the values and the ethics and how we service the clients or um, how we treat the people, but as far as topics like human resources or yes. law or maybe the accounting part, we definitely need, uh, and the marketing, we definitely need the outside people who are, are specialized in that. And so we can really stay in our zone of genius. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kristen. It was a pleasure. By the way, you wrote a really amazing article on the three things you need to know about money mindset and social work. So if you want access to this little freebie, just email me at socialworkersrise at gmail.com. And in the title, put in money mindset. I will send this over to you. And Kristen, where can they find you? Yeah, um, I am on Instagram and Facebook. If you search for The Hungry Social Worker, there is also, um, funny story, uh, another hungry MSW, but apparently she's just a social worker who is also a foodie, and I think she has a blog, but when I say hungry, I mean I'm hungry for success. (laughs) So (laughs) just make sure when you type in The Hungry Social Worker that a little green icon pops up with a little um, gold sun in the middle. That way you'll know it's me. Um, and I am starting an email list. So if you would, if you enjoyed this content, if any of it resonated with you and you'd like to receive more inspiration, um, once um, Catherine sends that um, freebie to you, there's a link at the bottom um, in the document in the PDF that you can click on and subscribe to my email list. 
Yep. Awesome, Kristen. I'm excited to see, you know, where, where you go, where you take this, the conversations that you have and just how we continue having these conversations. I'm really excited. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Kristen. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed that episode. I wanted to let you know that Kristen has created a really, really cool handout. Three things you need to know about money, mindset, and social work. I will email this to you for free. Email me at socialworkersrise at gmail.com and ask for the three tips for money mindset. Or you can message me on Instagram and again, ask me for the three tips for money mindset and I'll be happy to email that to you. Until next time, you take care and we'll talk to you later. See you next week. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you loved it, write a review and give us five stars wherever you listen to your podcast. This just helps other people just like you find us and join our community. Also, I would love to connect with you on Instagram. You can find me at Social Workers Rise. I can't wait to see you next week. Bye.